Welcome to Practical Christian Living. How can you not discern the times that we are living in? We've been given enough information about what the last days will be like that we should know in the times that we're living. And if we are living in a time where there's nothing else that has to be fulfilled in order for Jesus to return, then we should watch, we should be ready. They should have known. They should have known their Messiah was coming. We have everything we need to know in the scriptures to be certain we are living in the last days and we need to be watching and ready for Jesus to return and take his church home. With more on what the last days look like and things we need to be looking for, here's Matthew 24 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we pray that you would bless this Bible study as we consider whether or not we are living in the last days. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, you have the account of the Olivet Discourse. There are four discourses that Jesus has during his ministry. This is the last, it's the second to the last one. You'll have the Upper Room Discourse next. Um, but the Olivet Discourse is the perfect setting for a teaching, especially during the days of Jesus, because the Mount of Olives is right next to the Temple Mount, so that when you are on the Mount of Olives, you are looking across at the Temple. Today, you're looking across at the Dome of the Rock that sits somewhere near where the Temple was, but in their day, they were looking at this 13, 15-story building that was the Temple and it was impressive. And the disciples, they had, they had come from the Temple Mount, and the disciples had pointed out the bricks that were in the temple. And Jesus said, do you see these bricks? Not one of them is going to be left upon another. And that is the case today. You go to the Temple Mount, and you will not find one brick from the temple building. And that's impressive because some of these bricks were 35 and 40 feet long, four and five feet high and wide. In the retaining wall, you still have the bricks from those days, and these are, they are huge. A small brick is eight or nine feet long, four or five feet tall and wide each way. These were carried over and they were put together, and Herod did it in such a way, the, 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 the engineering of their day was incredible. You can still, to this day, not fit a piece of paper between those bricks. They were, they were made so absolutely perfect. So for Jesus to prophesy that was amazing. Now, when they got back to the Mount of Olives, the disciples say to Jesus, when is that going to happen? They want to know when exactly is the temple going to be destroyed and the temple mount scraped clean. But then they say this, and what will be the signs of the end of the age. They want to know who, what, where, when, how. They want to know what is the end of the, the world going to look like. They're exactly like us. I find that it is one of the, when people have questions about the end of the age, they respond well to things about the, the last days. So they want to know the same thing that we want to know. When is it going to happen? Now, what we know is that Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. No one, not even the Son of Man knows. And so when, when these people put out the dates, which crack me up, and we had a bunch of them, 
because of 2020 was such a crazy year, we had a bunch of them that said that Jesus was going to come back in September of 2020. And who knows, maybe he will. Oh, wait a minute. It's October. <laughs> They're wrong. Shocking. In fact, I predicted that they would be wrong. That was my prediction. They predicted that Jesus was coming back in September. Because, and there's a reason for that. Because the Feast of the Trumpets is in September. And it's just, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be mean to them, but it's very simplistic. The Feast of the Trumpets is in September. The Bible says that Jesus returns with the last trumpet. So they go, well, there's seven trumpets blown at the Feast of the Trumpets. So it's got to be the last trumpet. And they add in years in 2018. That was 70 years since Israel became a nation. So there were a ton of people that came out with Jesus is coming back 70 years after Israel becomes a nation uh, on, in September of 2018. Do you remember 2015? Do you remember the blood moon? Do you remember Shemitah? The Shemitah, the blood moon. Jesus is coming back in 2015. And again, I did the same thing. Jesus isn't coming back in September of 2015 because the Bible says in a day you don't expect him, he is going to return. So every time somebody picks a date, I go, that date's out. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't want us to set dates. And so when you hear someone like Harold Camping, when you hear someone like Jonathan Kahn, when you hear someone who sets a date, just ignore it. I'm not saying they don't have anything to offer. I'm just saying they don't have anything to offer when it comes to setting dates. But we can know the season. In fact, Jesus rebuked the crowds of his day and said to them, well, listen to what he says. And this is Luke 12, 54 through 56. He says to the multitudes, this is not just to the leaders, but to the multitudes. Whenever you see a cloud rising in the West, immediately you say a shower is coming. And it is so. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be hot weather. And there it is. Then he says to the crowds, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? They had been given enough information through the scriptures that they should have known that the Messiah, it was the times that the Messiah would show up. And so he criticizes them. For us, he would say, you watch the weatherman or weatherwoman so you can know what the weather's not going to be like. How can you not discern the times that we are living in? We've been given enough information about what the last days will be like that we should know in the times that we're living. And if we are living in a time where there's nothing else that has to be fulfilled in order for Jesus to return, then we should watch, we should be ready, we should make sure that we are walking circumspectly, that we're walking carefully. Now, I have seven things that the Bible has to say about what the last days will look like. The first four of them are just in different passages in the Bible, and we want to talk about those. And the last three are in our text in Matthew 24, as Jesus talks about what the last days are. So we're going to talk about the Bible in general, then we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about what the last days were going to look like, okay? So the first one that we find is in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Daniel has written, the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, both write about what the last days will be like. 
They talk about the tribulation period. Both of them do. They talk about the first part and the second part of the tribulation period. They talk about this time coming on the earth that is harder than any other time the world will ever see. They talk about the abomination of desolation. Again, both of them talk about that. And um, Daniel wanted to know, like, like we do. Daniel wanted to know, when are these things going to take place? And the Lord tells him, don't worry about it, Daniel, because you're going to go sleep with your fathers. So you just go on, do what you're going to do. But seal this book up until the time of the end when men will move to and fro on the earth and when knowledge will increase. So we're told what the time of the end will look like. Now, there are critics that will say, well, he was just saying that during history, men are going to go back and forth on the earth and knowledge was going to increase during that time. And I don't know whether or not that's the breakdown of the, of the original text or not, but what I do know is that it fits what the world looks like today. Men go to and fro on the earth. If I were teaching this a year ago, I would have looked up the numbers of how many people are in the air at one time. It was an incredible number. Now it's far less, right? But it was an incredible number before COVID. There, there would be like 200 and something thousand people in the air around the world at one time going from one place to another. Men were moving around the earth and knowledge is increasing at an incredible exponential rate. Knowledge doubles now every, every few days and that's about to be outdated because we have quantum computing that is now making leaps and bounds and a quantum computer, and I had a scientist confirm this with me last night. He came up to me after the service and I was like, oh no, I was wrong, wasn't I? And he said, no, you're, you're right. It, you're, you're, and so I'm gonna, it, quantum computing is millions of times more powerful than the computing that we have today. And there's some reasons for that, but it's, it's going to, knowledge is going to start doubling, not every few days now, but it's just going to go, just it's going to be doubling at this incredible rate. Where this world is going, technologic, techno, I can't even say it, where this world is going with technology is um, really, really dangerous. Who knows when it comes to our information following us, when it comes to our privacy, when it comes to AI, when it comes to our jobs and, and technology is massively deflationary, which means it becomes cheaper and cheaper to do things. And deflation is the reason that they had the Great Depression in 1870. Deflation is the reason you had the Great Depression in, in the 1930s. Uh, deflation is one of the reasons that you had the, uh, that you had the recession in 2008. Because, I mean, you know, think about it. You could buy, to buy a big screen TV, 20 years ago cost you $12,000, $15,000. You can buy a big screen TV now for a couple hundred dollars. And so you have all this deflation and there's reasons for that. And I don't want to get into it now, but simply to say that we are living in that day when knowledge is increasing and it fits exactly what God said to Daniel. The second thing the Bible tells us about the last days is that they're going to be dangerous times, perilous times. Listen to what Paul said about the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Listen to some of the characteristics of people during this time. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, 
blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers are lying about people. Slanderers without self-control, brutal. Men will be brutal in the last days. They will be despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power from such people stay away from. Now, I think that these characteristics you could find among certain people in all of history. You go back and you can look at some of the emperors. This was, this is, it was their thoughts. This is how they lived. But we're talking about massive people in our generation that have these attitudes today. We are the selfie generation. We are living for ourselves. And these are the kind of mindsets that the Bible says people would have in the last days. No wonder there are some of the other things that are said when we understand that that's the attitude of people's hearts. The third, and this is very important, is that the children of Israel would be regathered to their land. We could go to passages in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel. We're going to go to one in Isaiah. But there had been the promise that God in the last days will regather the nation of Israel once again. Not only were there prophecies, Ezekiel tells us that they would be removed from their land, that the land would lie desolate and be destroyed, that the land would be restored, that the fruitfulness would be restored to the land, that the people would come back into the land, that the military power would come back for Israel, that the language would be restored once again, and that finally God would be their God once again. They will be restored spiritually, and they will receive Jesus as their Messiah. Now, all of these are pretty amazing because never in the history of the world has there been a nation that was a nation, stopped being a nation, and then it became a nation again, and it's happened twice with Israel. It happened when they were taken out of the nation by the Babylonians, and then they were allowed to return, build the city, and build the temple. And it happened in the late 1800s and early 1900s, where something began to happen, a movement around the world where Jews started to have a desire to return to Israel. And the land was purchased by a lot of different Jewish people who were buying land that was destroyed, had been destroyed. Every tree had been cut down in Israel by the Turks. 400 years ago. Israel that you have today is vegetation-wise is not what you had originally. They had wanted to completely destroy the land. And if you destroy the land, you cut down trees and you salt the land. And, and that doesn't allow anything to grow for a while. And so they began this, this massive tree planting project in Israel in the early 1900s before they ever became a nation. And, and you could go to forests today in Israel. It's really funny to go there because all the trees are in a row. It didn't dawn on them in the 1920s and 30s, maybe we should plant it randomly like it's a real forest. Let's just plant them all in a row. So you go into a forest and you look down tree lines. This is really weird. Because every, and now, now they do it randomly. Though, and you can still, they're still planting trees in Israel today to try to get it back to where it was. And um, Ezekiel says that they will be brought back into the land. Well, here in Isaiah... We have a very interesting passage. It says, Isaiah, this is in 11, 11 and 12. Uh, it shall come to pass in that day 
that the Lord will set his hand out again a second time to recover the remnant of his people that are left from Assyria and Egypt and Cush and, and the island seas. He mentioned some other places here. But it's the second time that interests me because they are taken out of the land under King Nebuchadnezzar and they are taken out of the land by the Romans in 70 AD. They are dispersed around the world by Nebuchadnezzar. Then they are dispersed around the world by Titus, the son of Vespasian, the emperor. And Titus would become an emperor as well. And if you ever visit Rome, you've got to go to the Arch of Titus because you're going to look inside of it and you're going to see the menorah and the horns of the temple. They've got a, they carved into the side of, of Titus's arch a picture of him looting the temple in Jerusalem. So in Rome, with Titus, you see this picture in a connection when Jerusalem was destroyed and they were dispersed around the world. Okay? So then God says, I'm going to reach out a second time. He did it during Babylon. He brought him back in, but he's going to reach out a second time. That's the days we're living in. Then he brings them back in. And he says in verse 12, he will set up a banner for the nations. Israel becomes a banner for the nations that God is moving. Whenever we see Israel in the news, we have to remember that this is a nation that has been reborn in a day. That on March 14th, 1948, the British had been control, in control of the Middle East forever. Not really forever, but for a long time. They, gave, they brought the UN in in order to give it to the Palestinians and the Jews. The UN gave it to both of them. They both had the right to start a, a, uh, their own nation. The Palestinians refused as long as the Jews were around. They refused it. And so on March 14, 1948, the leader of Israel, Ben-Gurion, declared Israel a nation, literally in a day. One day they were not a nation. The next day they were a nation. And God said in Ezekiel to prophesy to the mountains that get ready for my people are about to come. And so in the 1800s, there was a few thousand Jews in Israel. In the early 1900s, there were tens of thousands of Jews in Israel. By the time that Israel became a nation, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews in Israel. And today there is almost six million Jews that are in Israel. They are a banner to the world that God will keep his word. That in the last days, God has brought the Jew back to Israel. And that ought to be a sign to all of us that we are living in the last days. Because imagine if Israel was still under Gentile control. Then we could say, well, the Bible is not true. The Bible hasn't come true. And in fact, before 1948, they didn't know what to do with it. It's why so much Bible prophecy is not taken literally. And wasn't taken literally in church history. Because what did Charles Spurgeon, F.B. Meyer, D.L. Moody, what did they do with the prophecies that said in the last days God was going to move in Israel again? That the witnesses were going to come back to Jerusalem. All of the things that talk about Israel. 144,000 from every tribe going out to preach the gospel during the tribulation period. What were they going to do with all that? They were looking at Israel and going, Jerusalem's desolate. No one's there. The Jews aren't in Israel. So they allegorized it. But that all changed in 1948 when Israel once again became a nation. Now, the fourth, uh, the fourth thing that we have as to what the world's going to look like in the last days 
comes from Jesus himself, and it's about Jerusalem. Jesus said in Luke 21, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, talking about the destruction of the city in, in 70 AD. They will fall by the edge of the sword, and they will be led away captive into every nation. This is Jesus giving the prophecy that Jews are going to be dispersed around the world. And they were literally. Every country had Jewish communities that were around the world. Because of their law, the kosher laws, because they kept the Sabbath, they did not, they were not assimilated into the cultures around them. And so there were Jewish communities everywhere. And then it says, Jesus said, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. There's another passage that talks about the time of the Gentiles, which is what we're keen on here. Romans 11:25 says, talking about the Jewish nation, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. There's a mystery. He's going to tell us about it. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Israel's going to come back to Christ when the fullness of the Gentiles is done. And Jerusalem is going to be trampled by the Gentiles until the fullness of, of the Gentiles is done. Okay? So in 1948, Israel becomes a nation. From 1948 to 67, almost 20 years, they do not control Jerusalem. Jerusalem is controlled by the Palestinians. Jerusalem is controlled by the Arabs. In 1967, with Russia's help, Egypt, Jordan, and Syria all get ready to launch an attack against Israel. Israel finds out about this attack. They find out a large mass of weapons in the West Bank and they do a preemptive strike in 67. This preemptive strike is so successful that they take back Jerusalem for the first time since the Romans destroyed it in 70 AD. And if you can go and look up some of the footage of them in the streets of Jerusalem on that day they took it, it's amazing. They took the entire city. For the first time in 2,000 years, Jerusalem was under Jewish control. Almost immediately, they gave back the Temple Mount. It was a peace branch that they wanted to give them. And, and looking back on it on hindsight, it was a mistake. Because it is from the Temple Mount that they would throw stones down on the Jews who were praying at the Western Wall. The Western Wall was as close as they could get to where the Temple was because they had given back the Temple Mount. That's where the Dome of the Rock is. And they thought, well, we'll make peace and show the Palestinians that we, 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 have a, you know, we want to do things right. And I like what Chuck Smith used to say. 1970, excuse me, 1967 was almost the end. It was almost the point. They, they could have had, they had a different leadership in charge. They could have said, we are taking Jerusalem completely now. And it is we're going to, under our complete control. There's still difficulties on the Temple Mount today. When you, if you go to Israel, it's always a tense place to go. In, in fact, the last time that we went, which was a couple years ago, I talked with one of our guides about seriously not going up on the Temple Mount because there were all kinds of problems that were happening. They will look at you know, the, the women when they go up on the Temple Mount, they'll say, you're not dressed properly. They'll make them do something, wrap a coat around their waist or do something really weird. Sure enough, that happened to us. We got up there and they picked out a couple of our gals. You guys have to, you guys have to do this. And there's always tension that's going on up there. But the Jews are once again in control of Jerusalem, which means that it wouldn't take very much now at all for the time of the Gentiles to be fulfilled. 
it fits. If the Jews were not in control of Israel, had they not taken in 67, then we could not say we're living in the last days. But we are, because Jesus gave us that prophecy. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life, or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.